This is the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. We have your back with everything from games, lessons, and coaching. YouthworkerCollective.com Welcome to the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele, and I have some fantastic uh pastors on the phone with me that are are going to help us process a really difficult topic. Just kind of to get us started, let's go around, kind of introduce yourselves, tell us who you are um, and where you're serving, and we'll start with uh, Amy. Hi, I'm Amy Shreve, and I work in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference, and I work with Higher Ed and Campus Ministry. Kellen? Yeah, I'm uh, Pastor Kellen Rogenbuck. I serve in uh, Jefferson, Wisconsin, and I work with youth and have been working in the Methodist Church with youth for six years. And Kellen, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is your first time on the podcast, right? This is. I'm very excited. Welcome. All right, so we're going to go to Chris. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Chris Wilterdink, and I'm the Director of Program Development at Young People's Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. So you're a you're a podcast professional, clearly, but I think this is also your first time on this podcast. Is that right? Super true, and I'm super duper excited. <laughs> me too. Sharon, <laughs> <laughs> me there. <laughs> Sharon, uh, I'm Sharon Cook. I work in the Wisconsin Conference. I have ten years of experience as a local church pastor, and now I have been on conference staff uh, for four years working with youth and with camping ministry. Audra? I am Audra Welch Malvez. I'm the director of youth ministries and now the interim youth director at Plymouth Park United Methodist in Irving, Texas. And Scott. <laughs> I'm right, Scott Meyer. I'm Scott Meyer and I'm the director of student ministries at McFarland Methodist Church in Norman, Oklahoma. All right, so today uh, we're going to be talking about uh, when students cut. So uh, first is, you know, I think um, it is the question um, for for youth workers. You know, we have a lot of people who who we're we're not talking paid youth workers. You know, a lot of people out there is we're we're just parents and. Um, trying to be at our church and and be the person working with the students. So, um, for those people who um, who may not be super familiar with this, what just let's give a description. Like, what are we talking about when we're talking about cutting? Or, you know, I think the bigger term is self harm. Well, I think it's important when we when we talk about self harm. I think cutting has gotten a lot of attention because it is so visible, but it includes a lot of other behaviors, including uh, hitting, biting, uh, burning, picking at, at existing wounds to prevent healing, all of which is done as a coping mechanism for uh, dealing with um, unmanageable uh, levels of emotion. So it is intentional, it is self-inflicted, and it is not a suicidal gesture, although sometimes it can be confused that way. Right. When we're looking at this, there, there's so many layers to what's happening. And, and I think, Sharon, that's important for us to kind of realize on the surface, this is different than 
student reporting uh, suicidal thoughts or a suicide attempt or anything like that. And it needs to be approached in a little bit different way. You know, for, for me, I, I say, if we're talking suicide, you don't play with that. You've got to get a professional involved and you've got to get their parents involved. But where do we start when we, because my experience is it's oftentimes not the student who's the first person who brings something like this. What do you, how do you respond when you get another student saying, hey, I'm really good friends with Jason and I think he might be hurting himself. Where do you guys go as your sort of first response to that, that sort of a report? One of the things that for me is really important is always to include senior leadership in the church um, to make sure that that my decision making is uh, not going to put the church in a liable situation and, and and where I can be of clear mind in, in making that decision. One of the things that I think whenever you're talking about any kind of issue going on with a student is is to not think that we can tackle it by ourselves. There, there's yes. those issues that we are legally responsible to report, but then there's also those that that maybe aren't of of a legal issue. But but to think that we can handle it on our own, I think sometimes causes a, a, a view of of arrogance, at least for me. And and I think to issues of self harm. I've never personally dealt with that in my own life. And so when somebody does that, I don't understand why they would do that. And so I'm very honest about that with myself and with others. I don't get it. And so that is actually very freeing to me because then I know that because I don't understand it, I can't make a decision about how to help that person on my own. I don't have mm-hmm. that. That's not in my my bag of tricks. And so it, it's very helpful to, to go and, and to consult with others who can help me walk through that. Yeah. I think going back to what Sharon said about root cause of self-harm is an inability to control or manage an extreme emotion. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is finding out and helping the student find out what that emotion is and whether that, and it depends on what kind of self-harm is taking place to what degree, if that makes sense. If it's minor, then I mean, talking to the parents obviously is is necessary and pulling parents in and pulling students in and finding out what your what your bag of tricks is and whether or not that's a conversation that you can lead a family in in a pastoral way to guide them into professional counseling. And your I mean, your response in that is an affirmation of love and acceptance and helping a student process through what the root cause of it is yeah. and figuring out safe and appropriate ways to maintain control and, you know, coping. Right. I'm curious about that. Something that you said in there, how is it that we walk this line where a student is coming to us confidentially and, and sharing this really, really intense, you know, private thing? How do we pull that conversation appropriately pull parents into that that conversation how do you guys navigate that space between the you know an initial report and trying to include parents well for me if it's a junior high student then i'm immediately calling parents but if it's one of my older high school students depending on the type of relationship i have with them and and again the level if it's you know they they self-harm for the first time ever then I might have a conversation with them. But if this is some kind of a self-harm, because uh, self-harm can become a, an addiction. And if it's to that level, then, you know, 
and if the student's life is in danger, immediate danger, um, definitely worth calling the parents then. But if it's like I said, if it's one of those like it's a first time thing or it's I'm not really sure if the students, the student that reported it, you know, that that little Jimmy came into my office and I'm afraid that Sarah's hurting themselves. Well, OK, what are we talking about here? Finding out finding out that and then I might go to Sarah and be like, hey, Sarah, so talk to me about what's going on. And depending on how truthful and honest Sarah is, depends on, you know, and it's, it, I hate to say that it's a case by case, but it kind of is because it depends on my relationship with the student. It depends on the student's relationship with their parents and, and it depends on the age of the student. Right. Chris, what do you say to a student in that setting to, to kind of prepare them when you feel like you've got to bring in your, uh, bring in, bring the parents into the conversation? That's a really great question, and I would certainly hope that, you know, finding myself or, or another youth minister in that position, that there's a relationship that's there at first and some trust that's been built up over time. Uh, I would also hope that, you know, through the course of my own preparations, like in the insurance waivers or, you know, medical information, those kinds of things that, uh, you know, I would always have my youth uh, renew every year, there would be language in that release, you know, stating specifically you know, this is when I'm going to need to hold things in confidence with you. And that's that's when things can be, be between us or between different staff on church and a youth uh, versus these are the times that I need to bring someone else into the fold. Mm-hmm. And the times that I found myself in that position, and, and this is going back a few years to when I was at a church out in uh, the south side of Denver, Colorado, it had to do with uh, the idea of weight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that idea seemed to resonate with uh, at, at least one of the young women who I was talking with that was um, doing some self-harm. She was cutting and snapping um, rubber bands and tying things too tight around her wrists. You know, but I said, obviously, you know, I, I care about you a ton as a person. And this kind of weight isn't the kind of weight that you and I can just carry together. We need mm, more yeah. people to add their hands and share this weight together. So I need to know what order you would like me to do this in. But mm-hmm. in some order, I'm going to need to talk to another church staff person or pastoral care person that we would have on staff. Um, I'm going to need to talk to your parents. Would you like me to do that? Would you like you to do that? Would you like us to be together um, to try to give them a little bit of ownership over the things that I would say need to happen? Right. To still give them a little bit of agency in that. But uh, I would often come back to that image of the many hands make lighter work kind of a thing. Because often, the, I, I think there's that element, I'm sure we've covered it as well, but. Uh, there's the element of that, that, that there is some attention, right, that goes with this really extreme feeling that they're trying to process. And, you know, these kind of external visible things certainly do a lot of attention calling. And so in that way, the attention sometimes is welcome. I would be really interested to hear kind of sharing your take on that observation you had about some of the harmful behaviors that aren't as visible mm-hmm. um, and how you navigate that conversation when perhaps the extra attention isn't as welcome. Well, it, in in my experience, it seems like there often are two um, kinds of, of youth who self-harm, and there are those that are sort of unconsciously doing it as, as a cry for help and as a way to get that attention. And there are those who are really good at hiding it, mm-hmm. really good at coming up with excuses and weaseling their way out of, of getting the help that they need. And I think and I, I don't know how we how we find that out any sooner, but I think it's really important that we not let those kids go. Um, mm-hmm. I think just because something doesn't leave a permanent mark on the body doesn't mean um, it isn't leaving permanent marks on their souls. 
you know, and, and it, it can be an addictive behavior that can last long into adulthood if it isn't addressed when it first appears as a youth. All right. So before we, before we finish, one of the things I, I want us to kind of discuss is how do we make our, our ministries safe environments for people to, to, to say this? What are some of the things that we can do to to help students realize that this is a place where they can find healing and they can be um, vulnerable in in these sorts of very uh, very tender uh, places? Kellen, how do you try to approach making your youth ministry a a sort of safe place for people? Uh, well, the first thing I do, and I and I don't know, there's a, a magic formula for everyone. But for me, um, I try to make sure that I model that behavior. Uh, first, we don't shy away from talking about tender subjects, mm-hmm. uh, but we do it in an authentic way and in a way that uh, is accepting. Um, I'm not afraid to bring the things that are on my heart to the group. Um, uh, and also just to make sure from the top down, if, if, if I'm around when there's any sort of judgment taking place that we uh, nip that in the bud and uh, we make sure that our communication is respectful that uh, it's there's the confidentiality of the group that uh, that we have a family atmosphere that 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 doesn't avoid conflict um, and doesn't avoid difficult things mm-hmm. uh, but processes them and talks about them and, and it sort of ends everything in a place of acceptance and love yeah yeah Amy what about you how do you how do you approach kind of creating a, a culture of, of openness and safety. I think it's, yeah, so much what Kellen talked about, but stating clearly at all meetings of the confidentiality of, of the group, but then also when, when you break that confidentiality, like if there's a reason that we need to ask for outside help and support, but the ways that, that we're going to negotiate that, so I'm not going to go behind your back and say say something to someone else, but I'm going to ask you, like, this is what needs to happen next. But then also just always asserting that we're going to listen to each other respectfully and, and value each other's experiences and opinions and thoughts. So that regardless of, of whether it's a, a really sensitive topic or it's just joking, that we know that, that we're going to value um, each other's feelings through that. Right. You know, I, I find also that it's important to be the person who breaks the silence in a way uh, around issues like this. And so I think sometimes youth workers will have a, a go-to thing. One of the first people I ever worked with, their go-to thing was the student sitting by themselves in the cafeteria, right? And I think that's like maybe the most overplayed one of, uh, you know, thing that, that that's kind of our go-to illustration of like helping somebody. But I think if we regularly will add other things, you know, when we're saying, when we're talking about whatever, people needing help, um, if we'll, we'll say, you know, sometimes you hang out with your friends and you realize that they're, they're cutting, or sometimes you hang out with your friends and, and you get to know somebody and you realize that they're, you know, and you just list whatever, I found that oftentimes just saying it out loud is the the tipping point for some students. You know, they'll for whatever reason they've never 
they've never thought that, oh, you know what? Youth group will be a safe place for me to get help. And you say that one illustration afterwards, you have a student say, hey, can you, can I talk to you for a second? And and that one little thing, it was just all they, all that was needed to kind of push them over the edge and, and get them ready to, to, to talk about that. Last, last word here, Sharon, if, if you had to tell somebody one, one book, one resource, what, what would be the best place to start if they, if they're dealing with this in their group? One of my favorite places to start is actually an older book, um, and it's called Bright Red Scream by Marilee Strong, I think, is the author on that. She was one of the first people to really write a book about self-harm, not as a psychotic behavior. So there's a lot of really solid information, but it's very, very readable as a book. Right. Um, it was written... Uh, probably way back in around 2000. So it's getting to be a little bit older of a book now, but it's still the first resource I recommend for parents or for people who have not really had any experience or heard about this and just need a good solid place to start. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank all of you for uh, being willing to wrestle with this together. You know, I think that's really what I hope this podcast was for people. It was a place to start thinking about this, considering what this means and how we respond to it. Because the reality is we don't want you to, when you encounter an issue, feel like you have to figure it out by yourself. Like Scott was saying, you know, we, we don't want you to, to feel like you, you need to handle the, the worst things. There's a place to go to help you process that as a youth worker. That's that's what we're about. We want to have your back. And that's why we do the Youth Worker Collective. We want to be your, your first place you turn when you when you sit down to, to, to do your work. For games and ideas and coachings and, and, and podcasts like this one, you can find all of that at youthworkercollective.com and more podcasts like this one at youthworkercollective.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm.